today's topic, Why Does God Allow Suffering? with host, Pastor Bill Tucker. Hello there, my friend. I'm so happy to be with you again. Do you happen to have today our Search for Truth study guides? If you don't have this book, I can assure you that you're going to need your copy. It's a tremendous help. And we'll be giving you information at the end of our program today that will help you in knowing how to obtain it. There I stood one day, seeing a lifeless form of what an hour earlier was a breathing, warm-blooded, precious baby girl of two months. She had suddenly suffocated of crib death. And the parents were sobbing, and I was crying with them. And for the next 36 hours, I was with that heartbroken couple trying to bring comfort and solace as their pastor. The question kept coming, why? Why did she have to die? Such innocence. She had already brought such happiness to this young couple. Why? I know you've asked the question many times. Why does God allow suffering? Why? We're tempted to cry out, Why, Lord? Why did you do this to me? as if God were the author of trouble. Doesn't God care? Is He unconcerned? Well, friend, this is the question that needs to be settled first of all. It's very easy to blame God for our heartbreaks, misfortunes, sufferings. But could it be that He's not responsible for the trouble, the disaster that is sweeping our world today? Could it be that we're actually misplacing the blame? Well, there are two sources from which trouble comes from. One is our own poor judgment. We can read about it right here in the book of Galatians, chapter 6 and verse 7. And if you have a Bible close by, I would invite you to take your Bible because, as we've mentioned before, this is a Bible-marking program as we study along these different topics. And in Galatians chapter 6, verse 7, we read these words, Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. What's well, letting us know if we're reaping good things, it simply means that we've sown good things. If we've been sowing a life of crime, we're going to reap the results, aren't we? If we've been sowing good health, we're going to reap good health. Talking about crime, there was a visitor one day who was going through the state penitentiary and he was walking through seeing men doing different jobs, the inmates there. He saw one inmate sewing canvas bags together and to make conversation, he says, I see you're sewing. The inmate looked up and kind of grunted and he says, No, I'm reaping. Yes, he was reaping the results of his wrongdoing. But there's another cause. And as we turn to the book of Job, we see a classic example of another cause that has to do with the enemy, the enemy of God who is called Satan. You can read it over there in the book of Job, and that's chapter 1. And we're going to begin reading verse 11. And it says, But put forth thine hand now, and touch all that he hath, and he will curse thee to thy face. 
But notice that the Lord wouldn't accept that. God knew that Job was a faithful and worthy servant and accepted Satan's proposal. And you read on there in verse 12, And the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, all that he hath is in thy power, only upon himself put not forth thine hand. So Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord. What happened? You can read the story from verses 13 right on through verse 22. In one day, Job lost everything. That is, all his cattle, all of his sons and daughters, all of his assets, everything. And in verse 22, we read these words. In all this, Job sinned not, nor charged God foolishly. So we need to understand this important truth. God is not the author of trouble. God allows Satan to put forth his hand to destroy, to tempt, to try our faith. Satan does try to destroy, but God allows Satan to go just so far. Well, by now you might be saying, Pastor Tucker, you're talking about Satan as though he was a real being. Notice what Jesus had to say about him over here in Luke chapter 10 and verse 18. I beheld Satan, it says, as lightning fall from heaven. What? Satan falling from heaven? Yes, he was a being in heaven. And even Jesus says that he saw Satan fall from heaven. There in Luke chapter 10, verse 18. Now let's go back in the Old Testament to Ezekiel chapter 28, beginning with verse 14. Thou art the anointed cherub that covereth. And I have set thee so. Thou wast upon the holy mountain of God. Thou hast walked up and down in the midst of the stones of fire. Thou wast perfect in thy ways from the day that thou wast created till iniquity was found in thee. It says that he was perfect, perfect in all his ways. Why, he was the covering cherub, the angel that was right next to the throne of God. You've seen those ancient kings, the pictures that depict the kings and someone is standing there next to him shading him from the sun here we find that Lucifer was the covering angel the covering cherub he was right next to the father think of it and right next to the son he was perfect in all of his ways until something happened until iniquity was found in him what was that iniquity we can look at it over here in Isaiah chapter 14. And we'll begin reading with uh, verses uh, 12 and onward. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground which didst weaken the nations? For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. Well, it sounds to me 
like he had an eye problem. Doesn't it to you? I will be like God, he's saying. I will be the one who's worshipped. As the holy angels came and bowed down before the Father, as they bowed down before Christ the Son, I'm sure he wondered, why can't they bow down to me? I'm just as beautiful. Why not? And so Lucifer started a whispering campaign. Insane pride went so far as to lead him to ask Jesus, his creator, to bow down and worship him when he became a man. You can read about it there in Matthew chapter 4, verses 8 to 10. You see, to set himself up as God, he first undermined the confidence in the one he wished to supplant. He sought to do this by destroying God's reputation. Since he could find no fault in God, he must resort to deceit. This is the way he always works. That long struggle for the loyalty of God's free, intelligent creatures began. Well, who was right? God or that brilliant Lucifer? Could it be true that God was harsh and severe and unworthy of the love and the trust of the beings that he had made. So that whispering campaign was launched in heaven. Lucifer was jealous of the worship that Christ received and also his position. This whispering campaign spread all over heaven and developed into an open revolt. You can find it there in Revelation chapter 12, beginning with verse 7, I believe it is, the last book of the Bible, have you been following along as we've been reading these verses? I hope so. Revelation chapter 12, beginning with verse 7. Notice these words. And there was war in heaven, and Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought in his angels, and prevailed not, neither was their place found any more in heaven. And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan which deceiveth the whole world. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. Think of that. A bright, shining, glorious angel turned into a demon. Can you imagine that? War in heaven? It looks like a third of the angels went over to Satan's side. Now, that brilliant mind, Lucifer, becomes a devil. Incredible. He's cast out of heaven. And his angels, it says, were cast out with him. Where were they cast out? To this earth. Now, Satan and his angels, his evil angels, are going about as a roaring lion seeking whom they may devour right here on planet earth. But you say, Pastor Tucker, if Satan is a created being, is not God indirectly responsible for evil? Did he not then create a devil? Oh, no, my friends. God created Lucifer, a magnificent being, a magnificent angel. It was Lucifer who made a devil out of himself. I want to emphasize that. You see, he was created perfect, but he allowed the spirit of pride to grow and grow until he found himself in open rebellion against God. And so Lucifer becomes a devil, not out of creation by God, but he developed into the devil himself through his own pride and self-deceit. Well, you might ask, 
if God foresaw all of this, if he knew that the trouble would be caused by Satan, why didn't he destroy him in the very beginning? Now, that's a good question, isn't it? Yes, God could have done that. He could have created Lucifer and all the angels and you and me without any capacity for sinning. Why, he could have made us robots. But he wanted you, he wanted me to be free. Free to choose. In creating them with the power of choice, he took a terrible chance, a risk, that someday someone in his kingdom might choose wrong. And Lucifer was that one. And now Lucifer must be allowed to demonstrate before the entire universe the results of his rebellious course of action. Now, if God had blotted him out immediately, why, all of the angels would then begin to serve God out of fear, not from love. And so, God, in his great wisdom, has allowed sin to grow. Sometimes, we accidentally will spill something, good seed, perhaps among the weeds. And... uh, Rather than pulling up the weeds and accidentally disturbing the good plants among the weeds, it's better to wait until the difference is plainly seen between weeds and good plants. In in like manner, God lets sin grow so that all might see and know the truth, the real truth, the nature the character of Lucifer, the devil, and his angels. Now, you and I can choose between right and wrong. We can do that this very day, between God and Satan. We see the evidence, don't we, that Satan's way will only lead to destruction. We don't have to wait until the devil is destroyed before we can get rid of all his trouble. I want you to realize that in the trouble you can have a companion to see you through. The Bible says these words over here in Isaiah chapter 43, verse 2. And it should be comforting words for every one of us who face many challenges, many trials. Some of us perhaps are facing trials right now. Notice what it says here, beginning with verse 2. When thou passest through the waters... I will be with thee. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow thee. When thou walkest through the fire, thou shalt not be burned. Neither shall the flame kindle upon thee. Isn't that good news, friend? There will come a day, someday, when old Satan will come to an end. But how good it is to know that Through the trials, through the temptations, our Savior will walk with us through every affliction. That's good to know, isn't it? Remember that we're talking about a man named Job and how he lost everything in one day. Well, there was another day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord and Satan came also. And we listen to the conversation that goes on. God says, Have you considered my servant Job? that he's an upright man and even though you've tempted me to hurt him, yet he serves me faithfully. Satan says, you just let me touch his body and he'll curse you to his face. 
God says, no, I know he will always trust me. And so God gave Satan the privilege of touching Job's body. The Bible says that Job had sores from the top of his head right down to the sole of his feet. We find Job there in the backyard scraping the pus from those terrible boils. And all his wife could say when she saw him, why don't you curse God and die? In all this, Job said not. And he finally says, Lord, though you slay me, yet I'm going to trust you. What a wonderful, wonderful faith relationship Job had with his God. Job didn't understand. He didn't understand about the conversation between Satan and God. God was allowing the trials to come to perfect his character. Satan was trying to destroy Job. So in the back of the trial that you were experiencing, could it be that God is saying, I know my servant down there in San Francisco or in the Philippines or even in Russia. I know my servant there in Los Angeles or in New York City that he or she will always trust me. Friend, if you're having trials, it is positive evidence that God sees in you something worthwhile. One of these days, friends, God is going to destroy Satan. We read about it here in the book of Ezekiel. Over there in Ezekiel chapter 28. Notice what it says. Ezekiel chapter 28. And we'll read verses 18 and onward. Therefore will I bring forth a fire from the midst of thee. It shall devour thee. And I will bring thee to ashes upon the earth. In the sight of all them that behold thee. All they that know thee among the people shall be astonished at thee. Thou shalt be a terror, and never shalt thou be any more. That is good news. Good news. The time is coming when Satan will be no more. Notice what we read over in, in the book of Nahum, chapter 1. That's a little small book between what we just read and and the first book of the New Testament, Nahum chapter 1 and verse 9. He will make an utter end. Affliction shall not rise up the second time. That's more good news, isn't it? In other words, there will never be any more sickness. There will never be any more suffering. There will never be any more sin. Yes, friend, my Bible makes it very plain that there will be no more sin, no more death. Would you take your Bibles again and turn with me to the last book of the Bible, Revelation chapter 21. Some very precious words. Words that have been such comfort to many who have suffered, many who have lost loved ones in death. Here in Revelation chapter 21, verse 4, it says, And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow, nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. 
friend Jesus overcame the enemy. And that's why you can have victory now. The day is coming when Satan will be put to an end. Sin put to an end. Death, suffering, sickness put to an end. No more of that. Well, friend, in the meantime, between now and then, because Jesus has overcome, you too can overcome. In fact, he says these precious words of promise in John chapter 16 and verse 33. John 16, verse 33. Notice these words. In the world ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. You don't have to be troubled, my friend. Here Jesus is saying, I have overcome the enemy. Be of good cheer. What was it that inspired Isaiah to write here in the 45th chapter and verse 22 these words? Look unto me, be ye saved all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is none else. What a Savior. What a Savior. He's saying, look unto me and be saved. Look to Jesus. Yes, friend, look to Jesus for cleansing for every stain of sin. There's a poem that was put to music in which there are these words. In a look, there's life for thee. In a look at Calvary, blessed thought, salvation free. By a look at Calvary. Thank you.